The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Uh, you know, our, uh, our message is, is pretty clear, which is that Europe and other uh, allied countries um, have nothing to fear from the Inflation Reduction Act and quite a bit to gain. Uh, and that um, when the United States steps up and makes the most significant investment in uh, clean energy and energy security ever uh, in the history of the country, one of the many things that it does uh, is to actually accelerate the reduction uh, in cost of deploying next generation energy technologies that are critical for the world and that those benefits uh, are felt far outside the United States. That's White House economic advisor Brian Deese trying earlier this week to reassure jittery Europeans concerned about America's planned green subsidies. With Europe working on its own version, this battle for climate change jobs and manufacturing is the focus of this week's Viewsroom. Welcome back to the Viewsroom, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. A green arms race is on. The U.S. has set aside nearly $370 billion in climate aid as part of Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. But Europe isn't likely to see much of that money, so is launching its own version. And here to talk to me about the evolving situation is Rebecca Christie, our guru of all things in Europe, but who is also American, and our climate change expert, George Hay, who is EMEA editor of Breaking Views. Welcome, George, and welcome, Rebecca. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much. So, Rebecca, I'll start with you. I, I would just love you to maybe just give us a bit of context about particularly the U.S., which sort of sparked this whole, I guess, green subsidy race. How did this come about and what was sort of Joe Biden's purpose in, in announcing this plan? The U.S. Inflation Reduction Act is a huge deal because of the difficulty that Biden has had getting anything through Congress. And that included when he had, with his party, the majority in both houses. Now, with the Republicans taking back the House of Representatives, it's going to be even harder to get anything passed. So the Inflation Reduction Act and all of the different things included in it was his shot to get in some policy that can help the economy and boost his own chances for re-election. It has a whole lot of clean technology subsidies aimed at, yes, helping the planet, but also making sure that U.S. manufacturers and U.S. workers play a big role in the supply chain of all this new stuff that's going to be needed to get the economy off of fossil fuels. So, so Rebecca, what would, be, what would be like an example of those? I can think of some myself, obviously, like electric vehicles. What else falls into this camp? Electric vehicle tax credits, things like solar panels, appliances. There are a whole lot of, of little breaks in there. If you're a homeowner and you want to replace your windows and put in solar panels and get energy efficient appliances, you can do all of that using various tax breaks for you, the consumer, in the tax code. For the manufacturers, they can get some tax breaks further up the supply chain. And also they want to make stuff that's eligible for consumers to buy. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, so then obviously then there is Europe, um, as I understand it, as I said, doesn't really necessarily benefit from that. Can you talk us through as to who benefits from this? So you mentioned, obviously, U.S. manufacturers, the consumer. Who, who else benefits from, from the, these subsidies? 
The main beneficiaries are, yes, U.S. manufacturers and U.S. consumers and U.S. industry. Europe, I don't think, anticipated the level of corporate aid that was going to be included in this. The sense in Brussels is that the EU was caught a little bit flat-footed in terms of what was going on and that some of the U.S.'s other trading partners were more aggressive in making sure that they would have market access, at least to some parts of the supply chain. Okay, so so what is Europe then doing, I guess, as a sort of defensive trade in this? What what have they what have they announced themselves? Europe is negotiating with the US to roll back some of the preferential treatment, and they are working on what they can do to help their own industry. The catch there is Europe isn't able to go out as a whole the way the US can to borrow a bunch of money to pour into its industry. It has state aid rules that keep it from unfairly or the perception of unfairly helping companies in one country compared to another. And it also does not have a lot of power to borrow jointly. So instead what they're looking to do is repurpose existing money, figure out how to make better use of state aid that is allowed and look for some way to equalize the situation between the big countries and the smaller countries and the countries that don't have as much fiscal space. That is where the debate is really going to get heated up at today's summit. So this idea as well, I guess, of, of you know, Europe negotiating with the US. I mean, Joe Biden is friendly, certainly, to Europe in a way that his predecessor wasn't. Do you think they're likely that Europe will actually get some wins? And, and obviously the UK, I would imagine, is hoping to, to kind of get on that bandwagon too. The EU and the US have some real incentives to play nice together because they both would like to see manufacturing stay in the developed world in places with a heavy regulation in, in line with these climate goals rather than in China or in other parts of the developed world. That said, it was really hard for the US to get this through Congress and getting any kind of change through Congress is going to be even harder. So George, I'll, I'll turn to you because I, I guess I'm really interested in the fact that this is basically, as Rebecca said, this is a huge amount of investment that is going, hopefully, I mean, certainly on the US side and hopefully on the European side, into things like EVs and making them more affordable and, and perhaps bringing things down. What do you think is the sort of the climate change impact of all of this? Well, I mean, clearly from a, from a climate change perspective, um, there is an element in which it, it's good that everyone is focusing. You know, it's good that the, the US is focusing so so much. I mean, as Rebecca uh, rightly points out, it's not just about climate change. It's also about American jobs and blah, blah, blah. But it's, you know, it's in this area and it's obviously better than if they weren't doing it in a, in a way. Um, but uh, I suppose just if you're a, if you're kind of high up in the European Commission or if you're anyone in the European firmament, you are acutely aware that um, what's kind of happening at the moment is that you're seeing a lot of these big European companies who be quite you know be quite ha uh, happy to uh, invest their own money your capital investment in Europe to help the green transition in Europe uh, they're they're kind of you know having their attention diverted to America by these very juicy subsidies um, and you're actually seeing you know a couple of a couple of examples in the last six months to point to uh, RWE, the big German firm, did a big deal in um, in the US uh, to buy um, Con Edison, a bit of that. And part of the reason why they did that is because some of the subsidies that are available to some of these companies make the returns on those investments um, much more juicy than they otherwise would have been. Uh, the same with uh, BP, the UK big oil group. They did a they did a um, 
bioenergy acquisition in the US with Arkea. That again was uh, one of our colleagues in the States. They were kind of pointing out that part of the interest there was the the kind of juicy subsidies you could get as part of the Inflation Reduction Act. So, you know, uh, Europe is in quite a kind of interesting position because they are they are very focused on uh, reducing emissions globally and they want to re- reduce emissions in Europe by 55% by 2030. Uh, they're very kind of focused on that. But they also, in the same way that Biden is part of the Inflation Reduction Act, is about American jobs. They also want to protect European jobs, and they want, you know, they want to kind of make sure that uh, enough investment is happening and in their in their own backyard. And that is kind of the the kind of big, you know, bottom line to this this whole debate. That's why von der Leyen it was saying at Davos, you know, we've got something, we're readying something. Exactly what that is, Rebecca was kind of alluding to. Uh, but we don't, you know, the crucial thing, as she was also alluding to, is that the EU is uh, just made up of a load of a patchwork of different states, different member states. Uh, that's a different kettle of fish to the US who can decide to do something uh, in the way that they have with the Inflation Reduction Act. It is very interesting. I mean, Rebecca, I guess I guess today, as you said, there is a there is a summit going on. Um, in Europe, what what are you expecting to happen at that? As in, are we going to get more white smoke about this plan? I mean, could it ever could it ever partly rival the US's? As in, I think it's interesting this idea that there's M and A going on that is sort of like European countries, European companies looking to the US to to see what they can get. The leaders are going to have their first chance to get together and see what kind of trading can be done. You have a group of 10 more fiscally conservative countries led by Germany and the Netherlands who say we need to work with the money we have. We can't just go borrowing on financial markets willy nilly. It's very important to be fiscal and responsible. Coincidentally, these are also the countries that have the money to pay for state aid themselves. You have other countries that say, look, We need to do something to make sure that Europe keeps its industrial capacity. We need to work together. And it's not fair if Germany, which has this huge economic engine that other countries don't have access to, can outspend us all. There needs to be some way to equalize things. So I suppose this may be another kind of situation, the pandemic did it as well, that shows sort of, I guess, fractures a little bit in the way the EU operates, as in the the hope would be obviously that everyone would work together and benefit from all of these jobs like you see in the US, but I suppose it's going to be a bit of a a trickier task. The pandemic was a big breakthrough for the EU in response to a threat that indisputably came from the outside. No one could say that any one European country had brought this on themselves. And as a result, Europe was able to borrow at scale jointly on financial markets for the first time. So there's this temporary program out there where the EU is selling joint bonds. Now, if they can reuse some of this money, that would be a great thing. The catch is that the amount of money that's left to be used, while there is a couple hundred billion euros out there, it's only available to be dispersed as loans. And if you're an individual country, whether you're borrowing from the EU or borrowing from the markets, you might be paying a similar interest rate. And it's less interesting than if you can get grants or some other form of money that doesn't mess up your national budgets. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I'm sure you'll be writing about this more, Rebecca, and I look forward to to reading those. And thanks, George, very much for your time. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. 
Subscribe to the newsroom and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.